0: Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special class by the name of Glenn Livingston, PhD. He's a veteran psychologist and was the longtime CEO of a multi million dollar consulting firm which has serviced several Fortune 500 clients in the food industry, you have seen him or his company's previous work theories and research in major periodicals like the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Times, and a host of others. But, you know, Glenn grew tired with all this after several decades, of and he began going out on his own, and he spent several decades researching the nature of binging and overeating via work with his own patients and a self-funded research program with more than 40,000 participants. Most importantly, however, was his own personal journey out of obesity and food prison to a normal healthy weight and a much more lighthearted relationship with food. Welcome, Glenn. Hi, hi, nice to see you. I've been looking forward to this. Nice to see you. Tell me, when did your journey with food problems begin? Did that begin in childhood? Um, It probably did begin in my early childhood, but but formally,
1: when I was 16 or 17 years old, I figured out that, um, you know, I'm 6'4", I'm modestly muscular, and if I worked out for two or three hours a day, I figured out I could eat anything I wanted to. So, you know, two pizzas, box of donuts, <laughs> anything that wasn't nailed down, it was fair game. And I didn't think it was a problem. I felt like it was a, like Doug Graham says, kind of a superpower. But when I was 22, I was suddenly married and I was commuting two hours a day, each way to graduate school and to see patients. And I was helping out with the business when I got back and there was just, um there was just no time. I mean, if I could work out a half hour a week, I was lucky. But I, I felt like the food had a hold on me, like it had a life of its own. And, um,
0: you, know? you know, I think at least for me, and I'm going to speak for myself, I think food has a mind of its own. I mean, we use food for love. We use food for every expression we can. You know, we use it as a surrogate for other things in our relationships rather than just food, what it's meant to be. It's substance. But I think food takes on a life of its own. Is that what you think? I think that food takes on a life of its own.
1: But I also, after decades researching the relationship, I think it's a much more complicated relationship than people realize. And um, what's really interesting is that the part of the brain that responds to food addiction, you know, the one that's got you looking for love at the bottom of a box or a bag or a container, it, it actually doesn't know love. It's the reptilian brain. And when the reptilian brain looks at something in the environment, just imagine this is the reptilian brain with fist. It says, do I eat it? Do I mate with it or do I kill it? It's like a bad college drinking game. Eat, mate, or kill. It's the um, mammalian brain that brings love into the picture that says, wait a minute. Before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, what impact does that have on your, on your loved ones? And then it's the neocortex or the, you know, more recently evolved part of the brain that says, be, before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, what impact will that have on your longer-term plans and goals, like health and fitness, but also the kind of person you're trying to be, what you're trying to accomplish in the world, your broader relationships and place in society. Um, and so when we are imagining that every food impulse is related to a lack of love uh Uh, The metaphor would be that gee, there's a hole in my heart, so I have to fix the hole in my heart, so that I don't have to fix the hole in my stomach. Uh, When we do that, we're actually making an error, and we're we're reinforcing the reptilian brain's connection to all these um, bags and boxes and containers. So
0: I hear you. Yeah, I, I can hear it's complex, and it is a very complex thing. You know, people are obese it's something that just doesn't happen. I mean, it's multiple, multiple factors that feed into it. It's not just a simple thing of going on a diet. It, it's, a, it's more complex. It's like rebuilding your whole lifestyle and your exercise style and everything else that goes with it. Is that not right?
1: That is absolutely true. And what people also doesn't don't realize is that the big food and big advertising industries are extraordinarily powerful and they're, Engineering these hyper palatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and excitotoxins and salt. And they're all designed to hit that bliss point in the reptilian brain without giving you enough nutrition to feel satisfied. So the result is, um, the result is they just keep going back for more. And every time that you are looking for love at the bottom of a bag or a box or a container, there's some, Fat cat in a white suit with a mustache that's laughing all the way to the bank. So um, it's it's designed to disempower your better thinking and get your reptilian brain to take over.
0: You know, one thing I found that works for me, and it's it's a, something that's primitive. But if I can get fresh food, like fresh carrots, fresh things, and eat my veggies first before I eat anything else, that seems to work for me. At least keeping my weight under control because then my stomach's full. And then I had, don't have to go after those other things that are trying to superpower me into those things that satiate my, my centers. Is that something that you've advocated?
1: Very much so. Very much so. There's a reason for that. Um, you, When you're craving a chocolate bar, part of that craving is probably an authentic biological need for some nutrition. I've talked to different nutritionists. I'm not a nutritionist, but I've talked to different dietitians and nutritionists, and they tell me that um, it's something to do with magnesium. Or I eventually found that if I had a kale banana smoothie at a certain time of day that I didn't get the chocolate cravings. So there's some authentic need. And what happens is that need gets hijacked and misdirected towards the things that you're craving. Unfortunately, when that happens, Your body down regulates its response to natural apples or carrots or lettuce or everything like that. And it, um, it thinks that the real stuff, the really good stuff is in the chocolate bar or, you know, the artificial, artificially concentrated form of, um, of calories. So it's a very good strategy. What you're talking about, Uh, we, we call it crowding out. You can. Some people don't want to give up the good stuff or the you know, yummy stuff, and so they crowd it out with healthy goodness. So if you start every day with a green smoothie or you have your salad and carrots and all those things with fibres, it's not just that you are don't have the volume in your stomach then to eat as much, but you um, you are teaching your reptilian brain to focus on what nature really has to offer and get its nutrition there. So there's less of a craving for the, um, for the, you know,
0: and the alternate, I also have found that if I eat something sweet in the morning, like a sweet roll or a sweet bun, it fuels my need for more sweets. And then I need more sweets throughout the day.
1: Yeah. It it destabilizes your blood sugar. So you're the, the high lasts about 18 minutes. It's worth thinking about the next time you reach for a sweet roll and then you're down and then your, your brain is panicked and wanting to get back up again. And so you're kind of on this roller coaster. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're having your carrots and lettuce and, you know, natural foods that come with all the guar and pectin and other fibers that are just in the right package intended to help you digest the sugar within it, um, then you're really living on a more even killed blood sugar world and you don't have the same level of craving.
0: Well, thank you for validating what I found naturally, because I've just noticed this about myself and watching my own patterns. Yeah, I think that's important. Now let's get into the stuff on binging that you've done, because I think that's a big part of your research recently. And I think people need to know that. I think it's very important. People need to know that. So let's talk about that for a while. Well, what we've
1: discovered is that you have to simplify things. Um, Personally, I had to stop thinking about loving myself then because when I was staring at a chocolate bar at Starbucks and I say, oh, I must need more love, it was real easy then to say, oh, you know, poor me. I could really use some chocolate now. And it just seemed like it made the whole thing worse. And eventually I realized through a lot of different studies that first of all, the the goings on at the big food and big advertising industries were nothing to do with my personality makeup or the fact that my mama didn't love me enough when I was a boy or, you know, that I wasn't in a great marriage or something like that. Um, and secondly, when I looked at the statistics on addiction treatment, the, the, the thing that was working was this thing called rational recovery. And I, I are you okay? Are you all right?
0: Yeah, I'm okay. okay. Just choked. Okay.
1: I, go ahead, okay. go ahead. I, I prefer that you live through the interview. I'd <laughs> love to live for this interview,
0: too. I've got to take a glass of
1: water. Anyway, there were a variety of different things. I can go into more detail about what convinced me, but there were a variety of different things that convinced me that loving yourself then wasn't really the way to do it. A better approach might be more like an elf, alpha wolf taking control of the pack. And so, you know, when an alpha wolf is challenged for leadership in the pack, by the reptilian brain in this case. It doesn't say, oh my goodness, someone needs a hug. It growls and it snarls and it says, get back in line or I'll kill you. Like I'm in charge. And if you think about it, that's kind of what we do with our other biological impulses in the context of a civil society. So Alan, if I, if I really had to pee right now, if my bladder was screaming at me that I had to pee, I would tell it that I'm in charge. I hear you. I'll take care of it after the interview. But right now I'm doing you know, the fantastic life podcast. And I really have to, um, well, you have to take care of what I have to take care of. So
0: naturally, gonna, naturally, I would,
1: I would take control. If there is a really pretty woman on the street, I don't just run up to her and kiss her on the lips, right? There's a, there's a protocol for how you approach. And I'm, I'm actually a little bit shy, so I probably wouldn't approach it all. Um, but, but there's a protocol as a civilized human being that I'm supposed to follow. I'm in charge of my reproductive organs also. So, it's not like there are no parallels. It's not like people aren't expected to control their biological impulses anyway. This is just another biological impulse. So what I've discovered is that the impulse is really driven from the primitive brain, from the reptilian brain, the part of our mind that's responsible for fight or flight or uh, freeze or feast or famine, most relevantly, that perceives an emergency in the environment and overrides the neocortex and the upper brain to say, you really need to get calories right now. And so I've discovered that in order to overcome that, first of all, you have to be aware when it's active. So the way I generated awareness, I'm really shortcutting the, the whole story, but the way I generated awareness was to make very clear lines in the sand. So for example, I said, I will only ever have chocolate on a weekend again. I will never have it on a weekend. And that way, when I heard a uh, little voice in my head that said, you know what, Glenn, you worked out hard enough. And even though it's a Wednesday, you're, you're not going to gain any weight. Anyway. You can just start again tomorrow. It's just as easy. Go ahead and get the chocolate bar. I would say, wait a minute. That's that's an impulse to cross the line. My reptilian brain is active. Um, call it my food monster. I used to call it my inner pig and I got in trouble with a lot of women for that. <laughs> um, but that's, that's what it's called in the book. Um, and, and when I called it my inner pig, I said, well, my, my pig is squealing for pig slop because chocolate on a Wednesday is pig slop. I don't eat pig slop. I don't live far. My animals tell me what to do. So the first thing you have to do is wake up. Then you need to switch nervous systems. You're, you've got an activation of the sympathetic nervous system, which is what the reptilian brain is involved in preparing to take care of an emergency. And you want to move that to the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of us that says, Things are okay. We can rest and digest and think about things. We don't have to take any immediate action. And there are two ways you can do that. First of all, you can take what's called the 7 11 breath. I learned that from Lori Hammond. If you breathe in for a count of seven and out for a count of 11, and you do that a couple of times slowly, you're signaling your brain that there's no emergency here. Because if there was an emergency, you'd be breathing in a lot more than you're breathing out. You're getting as much oxygen as you could. You wouldn't have time to breathe out for a count of 11. So you're telling your nervous system that it's okay to rest and digest and take it easy. <clears> then, <throat> if you carry around a piece of paper or a smartphone so you can write down exactly what your pig is saying or your food meister or whatever you want to call it, um, and that's, you know, it's go ahead. You worked out hard enough all the things we talked about. If you write that down, um, not in your head, but, you know, on paper or on your smartphone, in words. Then writing is a upper brain activity, whereas, you know, binging is a lower brain activity. So that further takes you out of the lower brain. And then you look at what you've written and you say, where is the lie in this reasoning? So the pig says, you've worked out hard enough, you won't gain any weight, and it's just as easy to start tomorrow. Well, the lie in that is, I might not gain any weight, But it's actually harder to start tomorrow because if you have a craving and you reinforce that craving by indulging in it, you've actually reinforced the connection between the craving and the action, and it's going to be harder to stop tomorrow. You've also reinforced the thought. If you have the thought, it'll be easier to start tomorrow, and you eat chocolate as soon as you have that thought, then your brain is going to associate that thought with a reward, and you're going to be more likely to say, I'm going to stop eating tomorrow tomorrow. So if you're in a hole, you need to stop binging. That's that's the principle of neuroplasticity says, what what fires together, wires together. So you don't want to reinforce that connection. You want to use the present moment to be healthy. If you're in a hole, stop digging. Then take another 7-Eleven breath and see if that solved the problem. You might have to ask yourself, are you genuinely hungry for something? Do you need some nutrition? Make sure you take care of your body. Um, it, don't make it a choice between a chocolate bar or starving. Make it a choice between a chocolate bar and what your body genuinely needs. Um, and that's the shortest version of um, the thing that was finally effective for me after 25, 30 years of suffering.
0: Um, oh, I, I that, really that's re- a lot to be said in just a few minutes and how you summarized it. You know, that, that really hits the nail on the head. It allows people to take control of their own lifestyle yeah. and allows them now to stop blaming themselves, getting into that shame blame game, you mm-hmm. know, that I'm not good enough. I'm not not the person that I was supposed to be. Uh, my mother hated me or something like that. And it, that that's part of the trap, too, isn't it, Glenn?
1: Yeah, the, um the self-castigation you experience after you have a binge, or even just a even just eating beyond your own best judgment, um, it's actually a bunch of reptilian brain activity, which is is designed to make your upper brain feel too weak to resist the next binge. So if if you think about it, what should you do when you make a mistake? Well, suppose you hit a hot you touched a hot stove by accident. Are you supposed to say, oh my God? I'm a pathetic hot stove toucher. I should just put the rest of my hand down on the stove. Absolutely not. What you're supposed to do is feel a little bit of pain for a moment so you know where the stove is, figure out how you're going to avoid touching it in the future, and then let it go. Psychologically, if you make a mistake and you don't hit the bullseye, you're supposed to say, okay, I feel a little bit of guilt and shame, which is appropriate. We don't want to eliminate all of it because we do want to feel that, that pain for a minute, but then you 're supposed to say, "Well, by how much did I miss the bullseye in what direction? What do I need to do differently to aim better next time?" And then you let it go, and then you stare at the um target and you you aim with perfection again uh, so yeah yeah, so that self castigation is um a very, very pernicious mental cycle, and you get rid of it by recognizing that it's just designed to get you to binge more. And you will find, if you you take nothing else away from this interview, that if you refuse to yell at yourself, you'll find it very difficult to keep binging.
0: Yes, exactly. Very, very, very good. Uh, Is there a healthy diet that you would recommend for people? Uh, Something that doesn't self-flagellate or binge or things like that, but a diet that might help people get to their goals? Mm. So... I,
1: I, I am not a medical doctor or a dietitian, so I'm not really qualified to tell you what diet to eat, but I, I've seen over a thousand clients and I kind of know which people do better and which don't. Um, I, I personally eat a whole foods plant-based diet at more towards the raw side. And I find that that has a deeper set of, um, you know, nutritional comp- completeness and it's easier to stay full. And it's it's been the easiest diet for me personally to, to stay full on. Uh, but the way that I start people on this, by the way, is not to just adopt a whole diet. As a matter of fact, I tell them, let's not focus on weight loss at all. What I want you to do is come up with one simple rule, something that you could and would do that doesn't feel too onerous, but is um, something that would definitely point you in the right direction and have, an, and have an impact and people come up with anything it could be i'll never go back for seconds again i knew this truck driver lost 150 pounds by eating at fast food restaurants but never going for seconds that's how we started anyway it could be i'm never going to eat in front of a screen again or i'm only going to have bread once a week at a restaurant and no more than two servings um, or i'm not going to eat in front of i'm not going to eat in the car again the, one simple rule and the limit is your imagination, make it a fairly low bar because a lot of the times if people are constantly overriding their own best judgment or binge eating, then they feel kind of hopeless and powerless and defeated. And you want to show your food monster. You want to show your reptilian brain that you're the boss. So you want to have an experience of winning, even if you don't lose weight for a couple of weeks, and then you can add more rules to help you lose weight later
0: on. I get it. I get it. So, in summary, and maybe you can summarize it in a few sentences or so, what would be your advice for people to have a fantastic life with food rather than a bad life with food? So there are two quotes I would put together. One is
1: from Jim Rohn. The other is from Peter McWilliams. Jim Rohn said that a life of discipline is better than a life of regret and that freedom sits on top of discipline. So you'll find that as you adopt reasonable disciplines with food in the form of these rules, and you learn how to stick to them, that you actually find your mind and your enjoyment of food goes up, not down, because you're never terrified that you're going to destroy yourself. You're not busy thinking, how am I gonna make up for this? How do I hide the evidence? Um, How am I gonna stop? That kind of stuff. The second quote from Peter McWilliams was that you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. You can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. So as you, uh, if what you really want is freedom from food obsession, you want to walk as a thin person in the world, you want to be free of worries about cardiovascular disease or excessive worries and you know all these diet reversible problems that occur in our older age, then you can't have that and eat everything in the world also. So there might be some things that you let go of But what was your reptilian brain depriving you of by getting you to continue? Um, You have to make a choice. You can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. And if you make some very disciplined, simple choices, set the bar low, show yourself that you can win. You'll be amazed at what happens to your life.
0: That's fantastic, Glenn. Well, Glenn, we're almost at our end now. Can you tell people how they can get in touch with you or maybe get a copy of your book?
1: I'd like to give you a free copy of the book in Kindle, Nook, or PDF format at NeverBingeAgain.com. Click the big red button and sign up for the reader bonus list. Uh, We do have paid versions also in paperback and Audible, but um, the electronic versions are free. You'll get two more things when you do that. One is a set of recorded interviews, because I know it sounds weird. You're thinking, why does Alan have this doctor that... You know, has a pagan side of him on the show. It sounds kind of harsh, but it's actually a very compassionate, life-giving process. And I want you to see people go from feeling powerless and hopeless to enthusiastic and hopeful in one session. So we recorded a bunch of sessions, all free. And the last thing is we'll give you a set of food tam- food plan starter templates for just about any dietary philosophy. There's one for keto, there's one for whole foods plant-based, there's one for, you know, macrobiotic, there's one for point counters, calorie counters, and there's starter templates so you modify them to meet your needs. NeverBingeAgain.com, click the big red button.
0: Thank you, Glenn. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Glenn Livingston, a person that has given his life to help people live better through food and do better with food. Thank you, Glenn. This is true. Thank you so much, Alan. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Did you know that you can get a free copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life? Yep. Just visit 13gpnow.ca and we'll send it right to you. That's the number 13gpnow.ca. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. We'll see you next week. Have a fantastic day.